Hello, Borrowed listeners. It's me, Krissa. And Adwa. We are hitting your feeds a little sooner than usual to bring you a bonus episode and to remind you to vote. That's right. Early voting is happening right now, and Election Day is just four days away. We'll put links in the show notes so you can check your polling station for early voting and for Election Day voting here in Brooklyn and for where to drop in your mail-in ballot. Not only is this the most monumental election in our lifetimes, which we don't need to describe to you, but this year's vote is particularly special because it is the 100th anniversary of some women getting the right to vote in the United States. So to honor that, we're going to feature two Brooklyn women activists, Sarah Smith Garnett, who died in 1911, nine years before seeing her fight for suffrage become a reality, and council member Farrah Lewis, for whom voting is an act of solidarity with the woman in her family. You're listening to a bonus episode of Borrowed. Do you want to go and look at her grave? Yes, actually. This more prominent sister gets the most attention, and then right behind her. Last week, we took a trip down to Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery with Rachel Wallman, the Director of Education at Greenwood. Just off the paved path, Rachel walked over to a group of headstones in the Smith family plot. She read off two of the headstones. Sarah uh, Garnett's grave says S.J.S. Garnett, Sister Minnie. Wow, and then her sister is a lot bigger and a lot more... uh, Informative, Dr. Susan S. McKinney Stewart, 1846 to 1918, illustrious through faith as wife, mother, physician. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Susan McKinney Stewart, the sister with the largest headstone in the plot, was the first black female doctor in New York State. But Sarah, also known as Sister Minnie, has a much smaller, less descriptive gravestone. In fact, it was only recently discovered that she's buried at Greenwood at all. I think... Many people have known that Sarah Garnett was an important suffragist, just that we didn't realize that that was that Sarah Garnett. We were focused so much on Susan McKinney Stewart because as we teach with these, with these stones, we like to teach by looking at the monuments, and this monument is so informative. It's such a great primary source for students to attach to, and we just kind of weren't looking for other information in this lot. Both women were remarkable in their day, born to a prominent black Brooklyn family, Their father, Sylvanus Smith, was a landowner in Weeksville, and that's significant because it meant that he could vote. At the time, men had to own $250 worth of property to qualify to vote in New York State, a law that disenfranchised most black men at the time. And in fact, Weeksville, which is in present-day Crown Heights, was founded in large part to create the conditions where black families could own land and businesses to empower a community by sticking together economically and politically. We have a whole episode on Weeksville's history. It's called Free Brooklyn, and you should definitely give it a listen. Here's Rachel Wallman describing the Smith family. And I think they were just, they just grew up with activism in their home. Uh, and, And Sarah was a teacher at the age of 14, I believe. She was helping educate other kids in her in, in her school. She becomes an educator. She becomes the first principal and a business owner. She owns a, a millinery shop where she runs the Equal Justice League out of that shop before it gets too big and then it moves to a YMCA. Sarah Garnett founded the Equal Suffrage League in the late 1880s, which was likely the first suffrage group founded entirely by and for black women. And she's also, I think, influential in trying to make bridges between white and black suffragists. There's a lot of 
there are some records that white women spoke at her suffrage meetings and that um, in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle references both white and black people attending her memorial. Um, but also I think there's some there's some, some evidence also that a lot of the work that, that white women were doing at that time that she was involved with was not that impressive to the black community. Um, so you know, I think she was trying to make bridges happen and, and I'm not sure that white people were doing the same or, or doing it as well. At the time, black and white suffragists may have been fighting for the same right to vote, but weren't always on the same page about the motivations for that fight. According to Susan Goodyear and Karen Postarello, who wrote Women Will Vote about the fight for suffrage in New York State, black women viewed their own suffrage as, quote, a way to solve the problems the black race, and especially women, face including segregation, lynching, and other forms of systemic racism. The authors point out that black women had more agency within their families and communities than white women at the time. They were more likely to be working and more often thought of voting as a way to correct legal racial discrimination in this country for both black men and women, and not just thinking of voting as a means to advance the rights of women. And Sarah Garnett was not only an activist for women's right to vote, she was a big supporter of the Niagara Movement, which became the present-day NAACP. And a year before her death, in her 80s, Sarah Garnett and her sister Susan McKinney Stewart traveled to London for the first meeting of the Universal Races Congress. They both presented papers there, and wow. Du Bois saw them speak. Um, you know, she she's what what her life kind of highlights. Is, is, is the importance of community and connection and organizing. When Sarah Garnett died in 1911, Du Bois spoke at her memorial. In fact, Ida B. Wells sent a letter to be read on the occasion. Wells knew Garnett from their activism. Sarah was instrumental in organizing um, her big speech at Lyric Hall that helped raise all the money for her to go on and, and do all, all of her important journalism about um, lynchings. Many others spoke at her memorial. Greenwood Cemetery has the program that was given out at her service. It notes her as an educator, a clubwoman, a suffragist. I think one of the reasons why we may not know her name is because there are so many names to know. It, that, that we should know all of them, but th these women all work together. They were part of a network. Brooklyn at the turn of the 20th century was alive with women activists, and many of them are buried in Greenwood Cemetery. It's funny to think about these, like if there are, if they could all talk to each other, like so many of these people knew each other in their lives, all these different intersecting communities that fought with each other and against each other, who all find themselves here in death. It's just sort of fascinating to me. As we celebrate the 100th year of women having the right to vote, we wanted to bring that conversation to the present day. I spoke with New York City Council Member Farrah Lewis, who represents the Brooklyn neighborhoods of Flatbush, East Flatbush, Midwood, Marine Park, Flatlands, and Kensington, about her path to politics. She started by telling me how her family votes whenever election day comes around. Um, I come from an immigrant household, pro-union household, and my mom, my mom always inspired me to vote. She told me, yeah, I'm waiting for you at the polling site. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, it's eight o'clock. It's really late. I'm, I'm getting out of class. And she said, yeah, I'll be waiting for you. They close at nine. 
um, we got to get this done. And I was so happy that she actually pushed me to go and vote. And from there, we kind of created this whole pack where all the women in the family go to vote together or make sure that we call each other to make sure that we go and vote on election day. So it was very inspiring. Yeah, that sounds incredibly inspiring and uh, galvanizing, uh, making, making it a familial thing. And this leads me to the next question. You know, you do a lot of work with young women and girls, um, starting <laughs> with your family. Uh, this year marks 100 years since women gained the right to vote in this country with the ratification of the 19th Amendment. What do you think about when you look back at this history? And what do you think in terms of work that continues to need to be done to advance women's suffrage? Like, what should we be doing? Well, the 19th Amendment was a landmark amendment, and without it, we would definitely not have a seat at the table. Uh, But the fight for women's suffrage continues, in my opinion, um, especially because the Black women um, also felt like they didn't have a seat at the table during this time um, many years ago. So as the Women's Caucus co-chair, you know, I'm committed as well as my co-chair to amplifying the voices of women and representing them. We have so many things that we need to bring in the forefront for women when it comes to like equal pay, reproductive rights, black maternal mortality and morbidity. There's so many different issues that we have going on um, and we need to just make sure that we're always amplifying the voices of the women and empowering them to go out and vote and to run for office. If it wasn't for that amendment, we wouldn't see women actually in leadership roles in government. In your Brooklyn district, District 45, what -hmm. are your concerns about access to the vote? My my district is predominantly Black and immigrant. Um, And right now, I could say our political climate is a xenophobic and racist political climate. Um, Mm -hmm. But the buck stops with us. We definitely shouldn't retreat. We should fight back. It's, it's never a fair turnout. And like I mentioned earlier, even my mom went through it with the language barriers, not mm-hmm. having poll site workers that speak other languages, um, giving, giving constituents the wrong information for the poll sites or changing that information right before. And then they have to go another mile or 0.5 miles to get to a polling site. We, we've seen folks discouraged on election day um, and we have to do everything we can to fight back against that. This year, uh, BPL has 17 locations that will be polling sites um, on mm-hmm. Election Day. And historically, libraries have played a big role across the country in terms of acting as polling sites. You know, why do you think this, this is important? Our public libraries are definitely our trusted neighborhood resource. People feel comfortable at our local libraries. And for us in our district, our libraries is the hub for everything, whether it be a voting site, whether it be a program, a neighborhood program, whether it be completing the census. We've utilized our libraries to put people together to get the resources that they need. You know, if we wanna see change in this country, if we don't wanna see another Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or our, our reproductive rights compromised, um, we need to get out there and we need to vote. So everything is on the table. Council Member Farrah Lewis, thank you so much for your time and for answering our questions today. Thank you, Adra. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Krista Corbett-Kavoris and Adjua Adusei. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website, bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts. 
Borrowed is produced by Virginia Marshall and written by myself and Virginia Marshall with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, Meryl Friedman, and Robin Lester Canton. Our music composer is Billy Libby. You can find information about your polling places, including several that are at Brooklyn Public Library branches, on our website. We have put a link to a special tour that's happening at Greenwood Cemetery on Election Day, and it's a tour that will include Sarah Smith Garnett as one of the activists who made women's suffrage a reality. So, after you vote, pay a visit to Greenwood Cemetery. Borrowed will be back in your ears very soon.